Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field and the classroom each month. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com. So head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me are Dan Hawley and the good Doc Ramsey. Guys, welcome. Say hello, hello, Steve. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah. It's good to have you. It's going to be a great episode. we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I'm excited. Yeah. We're going to quiz Ramsey a little bit I'm here. Nervous. He's nervous. Yeah. He's He's sweaty. Nervous. I'm sweaty palm right now. It's like I'm taking boards again. I know. <laughs> Jesus. So we're going to talk about, I've got a really good quote unquote mystery diagnosis. Uh, I want to chat with Ramsey about, see if he can narrow it down to, I'll give him like three differentials. Yeah. 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 We can edit yeah. it out too. And yeah. And if he misses it, we'll just edit it out. And then we're going to talk about, do we say what we're going to talk about? Hyperkalemia. Yeah. Everybody loves it. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's that exotic thing that people like to tell you you'll never see, but you absolutely see it um, as an EMS provider. So we're going to talk about how to treat that, and we've got a couple good calls to review for that. And you see it even when you don't know you see it. It's true. Yeah. It's, it's like true. surfing. Yeah. You know, there's a shark even though you don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, great analogy. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Wow, we could take that in a lot of ways, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> all the ECG changes, the fins, you know. Yeah. Wow. Man of many talents. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so actually, I've got notes <coughs> okay, for this. Attention now. For this, uh, you have a notepad. Well, I, I wrote down the <laughs> no, I mean symptoms for, <laughs> for this call. So, <clears throat> you've got a we're gonna say forty year old male. Okay. Okay. Past three weeks, he's been going to bed, starts to feel his neck getting tight. Okay. Uh, first week, he notices that at uh, in the evening time, he would have moments of a few hours of chills and a low-grade fever. He'd go to bed, go to sleep, it was gone the next morning. So these kind of transient mm-hmm. fevers. Uh, he says he'd wake up the next day, he'd feel very run down, but the symptoms were gone, so just feeling generally tired and malaise. In the evening? Uh, the next morning, after that evening transient but, fever But time. the evening was the fevers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, off and on, uh, the fevers would come back at nighttime. You'd wake up with a sore neck, and it sometimes felt tender to the touch, primarily on the left side. He also complained of headaches, felt really dehydrated, like he could never get enough um, fluids in him. Uh, after he woke up um, and got the day started, he'd usually feel no residual symptoms after about an hour and a half. So it took him a little longer to get going in the morning. Just in the mornings? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was taking ibuprofen and Tylenol for the tenderness in his neck to make the pain go away, and then it would come back at night after the NSAIDs had worn off. And this is like his anterior neck? Mm-hmm. Or like spine, like posterior neck? Uh, good question. Anterior neck. Um, we're talking along four the finger left widths side. above the base of the neck. Yeah, along the left side. Okay. It's very precise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just feeling that, and I was like, yeah, it's about four. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, vitals, when we got there, heart rate of 120. Mm-hmm. Um, blood pressure was normal, but sitting down, just talking to us, tacking along at 120. Okay. Um, noticeably sweaty. 12 lead, doesn't show anything, just show a sinus tag. Um, what else did we do? 
Uh, SPO2 was 99%. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did he call you? Uh, called because he didn't feel well. like himself, and he was starting to freak out that something was wrong. And this has been going on for weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks, so quite a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's the call. That's the call. And you know the outcome of this. I do. Okay. And I actually, <clears throat> because I know this person, I have lab results. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's so, so, I mean, so you transported him? Yes. What did you do when you transported him? Anything? IV, gave him some fluids. Yeah. Um, did that make a difference? Didn't really change his heart rate. Maybe went down to like 110. Okay. Um, and he was febrile for you, you said? For us, he was at right at 100. Okay. Yeah. Any uh, new meds or anything? Nope. No new meds. So just the just takes and uh, ibuprofen. Only medicine he takes is PRN, omeprazole. And he's an otherwise <clears> healthy <throat> guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yep. Do you have any, like, can you give me a physical exam at all? Yeah. What do you want to know? Uh, I want to know what his neck looks like. Is there, is there any overlying skin changes? No overlying skin changes. Is there um, any masses? Yeah. When you feel it, there is a tennis ball size nodule. Jeez. Oh, um, on the tennis ball? Yeah, under the under the under this yeah, about tennis ball. Okay. In between a tennis ball and a golf ball. What would yeah. that be? What lacrosse ball. Lacrosse ball. Yeah. There you like go. A kiwi. <laughs> like kiwi size. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he's got a palpable mass mm-hmm. on the left side of his neck. Yeah. Is it painful? Um it is painful to the touch, yeah. Tender. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he, does he have normal range of motion of, of his neck, or is that yeah? But he says he feels it when he moves, you okay. know, to the ends of his range of motion. Swallowing's fine, mm-hmm. breathing's fine. Yep. He says he feels it. scratchy throat off and on, um, but does feel. Uh, he feels like the swelling kind of comes and goes, mm-hmm. but he feels like when the swelling is kind of at its peak, he can feel it when he swallows. Is that when he gets symptomatic when mm-hmm. the swelling's there? Yep. So he gets tachycardic. Yep. Okay. All right. Do you have labs? No. I do. I'm th- worried about his thyroid. Okay. Just because uh, of the tachycardia and the hyperthermia, right? He could be hyperthyroid and have some sort of things. What labs would you like to know? And I'll tell you if I have all them. of them. All the labs. Uh, <laughs> I mean, CBC. Do you have? Yeah, I've got that in here. Do you want me to tell you each one? You just want me to tell you it's all normal. It's, if it's normal, that's it's all fine. normal. The CBC is normal. Yep. Okay. Mm. CM. You have a CMP or a BMP. Uh, both were normal. Normal, normal. Yep. Okay. Yep. Did they get a TSH? They do. And a free T4. Uh, all right. You ready for the TSH? Mm-hmm. Less than 0.015. Okay. So low. Yes. It so reads low. So he's hyperthyroid. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you wanted a free T4? Yeah. I'll just read you what I've got. Yeah. I mean, because with I the fever f- and the tachycardia and the mass on your neck, like that's mm-hmm. the first thing. I would, one of the f- things, either he has like a primary thyroid tumor or mm-hmm. he has a mass that's pushing on his thyroid and mm-hmm. creating like a hyperthyroid state intermittently, which is kind of weird. Um, free T3. I've got that. That's okay. The first one I found 11.3. Okay. Reads high. So high. Um, thyroid antibodies. Mm hmm. Those were normal. Was, was his blood sugar normal? Blood sugar was normal. Okay. It was 88. Uh, TSH receptor antibodies was 1.27. And there's a note 
know, on this one. I look like an endocrinologist too. <laughs> I know. Of course, he gives <laughs> me an endocrinologist. Let's see. Reference range is less than 1.75 for okay. TSH receptor antibodies. So he's hyper. I mean, so we could definitively say based on his labs that he's hyperthyroid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And this mass is coming and going. Free is T4 a, is high as well. Which 4. is a little 5, odd. That's the part that is odd yeah. to me. So is there anything else you'd want to do with the neck? I mean, I would image his neck for sure. I'd so a, I'd get a CT of his neck. He got an ultrasound. Okay. And they didn't CT him. That's they did not CT him. Surprising. Um, ultrasound heterogeneous thyroid compatible with thyroiditis. Benign appearing lymph node in the region of patient's concern. Okay. So he's got like Hashimoto's or something weird, like some sort of thyroiditis. Uns- yeah. Of NOS. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he was. They did all the. Uh, antibody labs uh-huh. for Graves' disease. Yeah. Didn't find anything. Did his eyes look normal? Eyes are normal. Okay. Um, <clears throat> did a, sent him to uh, endocrinology consult. Yeah. Um, and then um, all the labs, I guess the labs take a long time. Like a week yeah. to get some of these back. Right. Um, Which is like even the thyroid and stuff like that wouldn't come back for me in the, yeah. in the ER generally. Yeah. So he got... Um, he got the labs back. Did they all the antibodies? Is? No, they didn't. Okay. The ultrasound um, basically said, "Hey, uh, you're looking at it, it was normal, just enlarged. There was yeah. nothing else on it." Um, so they said, uh, "Best case scenario, viral. Uh-huh. Um, worst case scenario, start a Graves' disease." Right. That's kind of where they were at. Yeah. Um, so talked to this person about family history. Family history of Graves. Uh-huh. Um, family history of nodules on the thyroid that are benign, that they're just kind of monitoring, you know, yeah. as the years go by. And um, so he was kind of thinking, crap, I'm going to have Graves' disease because yeah. I got family history of it. Um, but endocrinology consult, uh, they went over everything, and he's got viral thyroiditis. Thyroiditis. Yeah. That's a weird diagnosis. So it's going to run... Basically, this for weeks. I looked up the charts on this thing. It's like two to three months of hyperthyroid. Uh huh. Quickly drops back down to hypothyroid for about a month, and then it corrects itself to euthyroid. Typically, well, that's best case for him. Yeah, yeah, it is. Typically, a one to two month post severe viral infection. Yeah, that these things start, and so the waxing and waning of the symptoms and the like the fluctuating mass is mm-hmm. a little yeah inter- that's interesting to me yeah yeah um <clears throat> technically no goiter like didn't have the thing sticking yeah. out yeah but you could palpate it like it was enlarged mm-hmm. yeah i'm surprised it's um, that. so you're probably what you're probably feeling is the lymph node that mm-hmm. high well the thyroid's pretty low i was feeling it down here oh you were okay. yeah. yeah um and then when i would go because i was like i don't feel this stuff very often um and feeling up into what I thought were his lymph nodes. I was like, I think these feel normal. I don't, I'm not feeling like, because <laughs> there's more than one up there, you know? Yeah. They're like, you know, like a, a few of them connected near each other. But this thing was just like, it was big. Yeah. Like, Ooh, fuck, we got it. <laughs> we got to get that looked yeah. at. Um, 
but yeah, it was a, a really interesting case and the guy's a neighbor. So yeah, yeah. I, I knew him. Um, but, uh, very, very happy to report. He's, I mean, the tachycardia and the fever mm-hmm. for that long, like for that, so in my mind, for that long, it's less likely infectious. Yeah. Right. Like bacterial infection because mm-hmm. it's been weeks. Yeah. And the tachycardia and hyperthermia. Mm-hmm. Like y'all think about the thyroid. Yeah. Or weird bradycardias. It'd be very hypothyroid, but that's an interesting case. Yeah. Thought you'd like that one. I thought you I, nailed I, it. I, I you nailed it. it. Yeah. You freaking nailed it. it. Just yeah. for did all the listeners, job. we did not edit. Right. This I didn't tell a, him a thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> put, the, put those signs down. It was hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> hard not to smile. So I have a question. Like, what was his, What kind of viral illness did he have? Yeah. So he had COVID two months prior. Mm-hmm. Oh. Interesting. And um, I actually read a uh, National Institute. Was National Institute of Health? I'm getting sure. it wrong. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they were saying. Without a paywall. Uh, I read the abstract <coughs> of a National Institute uh, study. And SARS-CoV-2 was one of the mm. major players that they're finding is yeah. causing viral thyroiditis. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Crazy. Um, so Hyper-K, Holly, what do you know? What do you Are we doing do a call? What are we doing? What meth? What are we doing here? Well, I was kind of thinking. Just talking through. Holly's the. I know. think what spurred the, <coughs> the content for today's episode was that someone recently asked me, hey, can you explain how calcium decreases the potassium? And I was like, well, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like this mind-blown event because I think we're taught in pre-hospital that that's the treatment. So you just kind of assume that it must help the potassium because that's the problem, right? High potassium. Um, So I think that's what spurred us to want to talk about this, kind of explain it. I have some other questions too. Like when I worked in the ER – I don't think we ever did high dose albuterol, maybe mm. once or twice. Right. Um, yeah. And so I was just curious because that also seems to be a trend that everybody yeah. wants to talk about yeah. in EMS because there's only two things you can do calcium or high dose albuterol. That's yeah. all you got. Or in, I mean, else. we do insulin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, right. yeah. And, the, and for EMS, though, there's no insulin. Right. right. So, so that's why. Those I are like the say. two things mm-hmm. you can do. Yeah. So mm-hmm. everybody wants to do those two right. things. So maybe we could talk about that too. And then maybe what we do in the ER. Yeah. But if we could start for the basics, like what's happening in intercellular. Right. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm sure there's a couple paradigms out there. Really into the weeds. So, just like it's easy to get into the weeds. A lot of this stuff is really like um, even more into the weeds than I ever get. Like it's, you know, med school, basic science, potassium gated ion channels, like, Mm -hmm. you know, all the great, like, I mean, the issue is that something like 90% of your potassium is intracellular, especially in the in the cardiac muscle, right? So then there are these, you know, uh, gradients that the potassium goes up and down to make the cells fire. And when you get too much serum potassium, to dumb it down, it screws up the gradients, right? Mm-hmm. And so now you're either depolarizing improperly or um, repol- repolarizing improperly. So basically it makes the heart muscle super excitable and then like down the path under excitable and screws up the way that your cells fire and it does the same thing with muscle cells and you know nerves but right. the, the thing we the reason we give calcium the big thing we worry about is the heart the heart yeah stabilizing right. the stabilizing the myocardial stabili- cell stabilizing the myocardial membrane right that's <coughs> like what you're taught with calcium mm-hmm. but <coughs> i mean that's the big issue and then 
yeah, I don't know which, which hyperkalemia, obviously yeah. too much potassium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hypokalemia happens. That's a mm-hmm. problem too. But yeah, we're talking about the hyper today. So and, you know, in the pre-hospital setting, you guys, you're trying to stabilize. You're trying to make them not go into that dysrhythmia where they code, mm-hmm. right? So calcium, albuterol, and if you don't have insulin, the issue is stabilizing the membrane and then shifting, mm-hmm. right? And that still doesn't get rid of potassium. So that's a thing I think with, you know, pre-hospital or just in general, people as they're learning about this is like, okay, we're shifting the potassium, but that still isn't getting rid of the potassium from the serum. It's just shifting it into the cells. So in the pre-hospital arena, the biggest thing is to protect the heart and get them to the hospital. And then the hospital is where you take care of. Right. Shifting the potassium and then getting rid of it. Yes. Which is what you do when you give KXLate only immediately before they go upstairs. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, or you can give Lasix, right? Lasix is a good way to get rid of potassium, but they have to be able to make urine. A lot of these patients are dialysis patients, so they don't make urine necessarily, right? So you, that sort of is off the table. So mm-hmm. KX dialysis. But, I mean, we still in the ER kind of are similar to you guys. Like, we're worried about stabilizing the heart and shifting, right? And, you know, we don't shift as – we sometimes will use albuterol, um, Mm -hmm. but we usually give insulin and calcium. Mm -hmm. And what does the albuterol do? It shifts the potassium intracellularly, yeah, just like Mm -hmm. insulin. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it helps control those uh, sodium-potassium pumps and shifts potassium into the cell. So it transiently reduces your serum potassium. But over time, that will just come leak back out, right? So you have to keep a close eye on these patients as far as, like, rechecking the K and, and then getting rid of the K in some fashion, mm-hmm. right? But, yeah, we did a – well, what else do we want to talk about first? Let's do a call. We got calls. Yeah, let's yeah. do a call, and then we can talk about it. You want to do mine first? You want to do your first? You can do yours. You sure? Yeah. All right. Trying to remember, making sure I touch on all the details. Because it was, no joke, this was one of, like, top ten coolest calls I've been on in EMS. And it was a while ago. Um, it was, man, probably 2010-ish. Somewhere in there. 2010, 2012. Um. So we get dispatched to a dialysis center, three-person medic crew, um, and unconscious person at the dialysis center, which <coughs> when you get halfway, Daniel, turns into the typical code. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it usually goes, I don't know about other people listening out there, but for us, it usually most times doesn't come in as a code. Someone has collapsed and then... Someone calls 911, and then we get an update in route. We're providing CPR instructions, you know. Okay. So that's what our codes typically sound like coming as. So I've got at the time, and I am I know my buddies listen to this, so I'm going to be kind of strategic in how I <laughs> describe <laughs> some of the people I was working with that day. Um, had a, a buddy I was working with who's been at the department a couple years more than I have solid medic really love working with him and the lieutenant that we had that day uh just checked out not the guy that you really want to run anything serious with 
um, just not the guy to bounce ideas off of and, you know, make sure we're doing right by patients. So anywho, we get in and uh, we've got, I would say, four nurses putting together a bunch of stuff to run a code um, in the dialysis center with a physician watching and giving some giving some orders. And so when we show up, um, I talked about this with my buddy before in, in route to the call. And I hadn't gotten to ever do this, so I was like, I think this is the call we get to do it on. <laughs> but running your code through one one line on one side and running your hyper-K drugs in another line on another side. And we were kind of, is that going to work? Is that a thing? I was like, I don't know. We talked about it as keeping it organized that way on scene. So we get in there, we start talking to the doc, and he wants this person out. Like, there's, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's 15 people watching this thing. We're mm-hmm. in the middle of a bunch of recliners yeah. with dialysis machines going. <clears throat> so I get it. He wants this person out. But the obviously the problem is when you start to move a patient, right, you're no longer providing good CPR. We didn't have an um, Lucas. automatic Lucas device or an autopulse. So we get the patient on the cot, start moving towards the, um, the back of the ambulance, and we're doing compressions en route. And we're talking, I don't know, 40 yards from the room, wheeling out into the ambulance. Get to the back of the ambulance, slow down a little bit. Good news is the dialysis center is like visible from the ER. So we're a few blocks away. And we start getting all this stuff organized. Um, Call the hospital, let them know we're en route. We're going to be there in two minutes. And we had gotten... Uh, the patient back with a shock, right after a shock, shortly after we got in the back of the ambulance. And I'll see if I can provide these strips. But the uh, patient was going in and out of this, like, it, it just looked like a large... Sinusoidal. Yeah. Like a wide complex. Like, is that the pulse A wide <laughs> complex. Just yeah. like, what the heck is that? And then occasionally they would throw some more organized uh-huh. style beats in there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was, <laughs> this is kind of where I nerded out, but like we were so excited to give the drugs that we just never thought we'd ever have to give. So we gave calcium. Um, we started, uh, we intubated and started doing an albuterol uh, neb through the tube. You did? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then uh, we also did uh, bicarb. <clears throat> And we watched, and I have this, I got to find the strip and post it. You watched I it normal. watched the sinus wave return, watched the QRS narrow within yeah. minutes. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was really freaking cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to share this part because it's just kind of funny. Um, we get to the ER and we're like, dude, no way that just happened. Like, this is just so cool. And you had a pulse by this yeah. time. Yeah, we had a pulse. Yeah, so you got Rosk. Yep. Okay. Um, and this was right when, like, cooling patients was the thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting on that really, really fast. And um, I've got this uh, – what is she? She's a nurse practitioner who uh, was just in a mood. And I'm trying to – I'm trying to I'm trying to understand like what did I did we screw something up here crap did we give the wrong drug you know what 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 are we missing 
And she was so angry that we hadn't treated at any point in time uh, with pain meds for the entirety of the call. And to be honest, it wasn't on our mind because this was a medical call. And sure, you know, but she's like, every patient that gets intubated needs to have pain meds on board. And I was like, I don't disagree with you, but yeah. Oh, Hear for the out. intubation, I'm like, where yeah. are we going? Okay, that makes <laughs> <Yeah>. more sense. <laughs> um, but this like, patient was dead. This patient yeah. was dead, yeah. and <laughs> you know, we're we're doing a bunch of stuff here. Um, and, anyways, that aside, um, just couldn't believe how quickly you can actually stabilize, yeah, the cardiac membrane when you're given the stuff that the patient needs. It right, was so cool. And I'm surprised you guys got pulsed by a shock because mm-hmm. yeah. you know, off often that that wide complex rhythm looks like VFib, but it's mm-hmm. usually slower. Yeah, it looked like... Um, like a weird torsade, yep. VFib, mm-hmm. VTech, kind of yep. just like a bizarre pattern. If you told a five-year-old to draw a wave pattern, yeah. it, that's what it looked like. Yeah, and so, you know, you'll sh- not inappropriately shock, but usually the, sh- and usually the shock doesn't do anything for that. Right. Right? Yeah. Usually the calcium the docs is what had, turns um, it around. I can't remember what they had given prior to the, us getting there. But they had some hyper-K drugs on board. Uh-huh. And so... Is that why bicarb was your first-line treatment? Well, our... I mean, second-line, really, since you gave the... We do calcium albuterol, bicarb, and then if they have insulin... I'm sorry. That's not true. We do D50 with Lasix. Right. Um, insulin is not in our protocols, D50 but I have seen... with Lasix. Yeah. Is that D50. in preparation for the insulin? So I looked this up. They used to be our protocol as well. We do all those things. Mm-hmm. But not insulin. Not insulin. No. Are D50. Like? Yep. Hmm. So uh, that's out. Now it's now it's calcium. Uh, yeah, we do not do this sodium. anymore. This was up year old. 15 years ago. Maybe that was like prepping for the insulin they're going to get or something. I don't know. That's what would make <laughs> the most sense, yeah. right? I'm trying to see if I can find... You guys don't carry insulin, period. No. no. Is no. that correct? We did on the helicopter. Yeah. But not, not in the not, rigs. No. On the ambulance. Yeah, the, the thought was enhancing potassium uptake, but hmm. everything on here says you need to be giving D fifty in conjunction with insulin. Yeah. Yeah. Um That's a good call. We didn't though. do but we didn't do D fifty. That wasn't something mm-hmm. we actually got yeah. to. Yeah. So, so it was really the albuterol and the mm-hmm. really probably the calcium. Yeah. That did it at that point. For sure. Do you know what that did you follow up on the patient? Yeah. Um neuro intact. Um yeah. they'll never miss their so they dialysis yeah. again. That's the other part. They yeah. missed a bunch of dialysis. Yeah. I I can't remember how many they missed, but a couple runs or something. Enough to yeah, you know, get there and mm-hmm. not complete dialysis and collapse yeah. and the whole thing. I mean that's the other part of hyperkalemia, sort of like similar to tamponade, mm-hmm. right? If you have chronic tamponade, you can have these huge effusions or chronic effusions, you can have these huge effusions and not go into tamponade, mm-hmm. right? And these, a lot of these um, renal patients live with pretty high potassium levels, mm-hmm. and they'll miss a couple runs of dialysis, and we'll get people in the ER all the time, and their K's, you know, seven, or some crazy high number, yeah. and they're not coding, right? But if you or I went from potassium of three and a half to seven, you know, in a day, you would code. Right. So a lot of it, is dependent on the how quickly the change happens, right? So, the, I don't know you see a lot of renal patients that live with pretty high potassiums that don't end up coding. Yeah. So the, the timing of it's super important as far as 
bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just so we cover it, normal potassium, like three and a half to five. Okay. You know, I would say. Are eight. they hypo under three and a half? Technically. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it. I think for me, it starts catching my attention if it's under three. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, some people, all these numbers, whether it's like your sodium level or potassium level, or some people live with Ks of three. Right. And so if they dip down to two eight, maybe not as problematic as somebody that's usually three seven that dips down to two eight. Sure. Um, but yeah, three and a half to five, I'd say anything above five is hyperkalemic. If you get up into the sixes, sevens, and you have EKG changes, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's yep. a big problem. So we had lost, there was um, no sinus wave, widened QRS, um, no T wave to speak of. And then all those things slowly came back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you guys before, we had this instruction where the teacher giving us the lecture on Hyper-K with ECG changes had talked about, you're basically pulling the ECG complex apart. Yeah. It's kind of the progression as it worsens. Um, and it, I don't think it, necessarily came back perfectly like that yeah. but <laughs> it was pretty cool to see everything kind of fall back into place yeah. um yeah definitely i haven't seen it since and something yeah. that you know it's definitely something i'll never forget i mean the hi- yeah the hyper acute t waves is kind of the big textbook yeah. thing right like yeah. one of the first changes and the, i mean the other part that people don't think about a lot too is you can have hyper acute t waves that aren't very big mm-hmm. even if it's relative to the qrs complex I've heard it described right. as if you wouldn't want to sit on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably problematic. Yeah, people say that. <laughs> yeah. But you'll see like if the QRS complex is small and then you have these T waves that maybe don't look super big, but relative to the QRS complex, they're big mm. and they're pointy. Like they're probably mm-hmm. hyperacute T waves. Um, but then also you don't always see that Yeah, clinically. Like the mm-hmm. EKG changes are not always present and hyperkalemia is pretty insidious right Mm -hmm. so that's why like you know it's interesting to me to talk about it pre-hospital because most of the time in the er when we find a hyperkalemic patient it's not necessarily like what i'm thinking we're finding right it's Mm -hmm. incidental they're there for a different reason maybe they have some weird vague complaints they don't feel great and then their case through the roof but they're i'm not like that person's hyperkalemic you know what i mean and unless it's like the coding Mm -hmm. dialysis patient that's you know you have a high pre test probability yeah for, but ours was i mean now if that happens in the person's home and no one's around yeah mm, maybe we put it together with the you know fistula they have and right you know some other key it's, things but it's usually they come in you get an ekg the ekg has some findings that you're like oh that's we should get it we get, should get some labs and then the k is high or vice versa Mm-hmm. get some labs for some reason the potassium is really high and you're like oh we should probably get an ekg <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean it's like yeah it's not it's usually that it's usually mm-hmm. sort of an incidental thing what is the i guess course of treatment for someone who's moderately hyperkalemic comes in you find them you obviously find that it's hyper k and yeah. what are you going to do for them and then where are you going to transfer them I mean, it dep- one, it depends on the level and if their EKG changes, right? So if they're high and they have ECG changes, like you're definitely treating, you're sh- shifting, you're giving calcium, and then, and then you're thinking, you're taking a step back and thinking, okay, why is their K high, mm-hmm. right? Do they have some re- new renal failure? 
are they on some new medication that's doing this? Are they, is there some other reason, right? Like burn patients can get hyperkalemic. Mm -hmm. Crush patients can get hyperkalemic. Patients that have rhabdo can get hyperkalemic. So I think you're trying to figure out what's the cause, right? And then if, if you can reverse it and they've got good kidneys and they're, you have some, you know, some reason that it's high, you stop a medication, then maybe you don't have to admit them. But I mean, if they've got, it depends on where you work. But if they're K's like in the sevens and they've got ECG changes, like they're usually going to the unit or some sort of, mm -hmm. you know, higher level tele monitoring, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and then I'm always, re I mean, the most common, ca in my experience, the most common cause of hyperkalemia in the hospital is pseudo hyperkalemia, like where they have cell lysis. Oh. Like right, it's so hemolyzed. Like it's hemolyzed, yeah. right? Oh. So, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. so if the blood hemolyzes, all that intracellular potassium comes out, and now you know your lab says their K is six or seven, but it's hemolyzed, and the lab usually tells you that, but it's hard to know what the actual mm -hmm. level is if they say it's hemolyzed. So I, you know, usually repeat it. And it's always the hardest freaking patient to get blood on. Yeah, it's always it's always lysing more, and it's, yeah, yeah. So I mean. How often are you doing repeat labs? I mean, in the ER, not as much, right? Because we're usually trying to dispo these patients. But yeah. if you're shifting and doing all these things, I would say you need to keep a close eye, like probably Q1 hour. You know. <clears throat> and what's the course of treatment throughout? Like you send them to the unit. What are they doing up there? Um, they're, I mean, it depends. If they're a, a patient, like I had a patient the other day that was in you know, acute renal failure that they started dialysis on for hyperkalemia. You know, it was a guy that had rhabdo and was, you know, probably he was using a bunch of meth, went on a bender, you know, got rhabdo. His creatinine was 11, and it was like one point something three days earlier, and I think his K was 7.4. Wow. Pretty high. Repeated everything just to make sure it was still high. So, you know, we shifted him, gave him insulin, um, and then sent it to the unit. They gave him a bunch of fluid to see if his kidneys would turn around. They didn't, so they started him on dialysis. Gotcha. And then once he tolerated dialysis, they you know sent, they could send him to the floor. Okay. But like that would be a patient like that. That'd be their course of action. You know, we're getting we're stabilizing him, getting him to the unit. The unit's going to decide if they need dialysis or not. And that guy ended up needing. He did great. They ended up you know doing. I think they did dialysis for. A week, and then his kidneys turned around, and then he went home. Nice. Yeah. Okay. But well. Yeah. All right, Holly. I want to hear your call. You want to hear my call? Yeah. Okay. So, we, mine was a in home person. They weren't okay. at a dialysis center, but we went to this house, and you know, sometimes you remember like all all the details. Yeah. It was a really cool house. It was like this one story, like '60s style house. And it was real clean, which is also <laughs> why sometimes you unusual. Also weird, yeah. <laughs> like super well dressed uh, guy, probably in his sixties. Okay. And he was home alone, and he his, he had called nine one one because he kept passing out, and so we're like, mm. okay, so we go in, and he's sitting on the bed, talking to us, and as he's talking to us, he keeps like losing consciousness, and then once he hits the bed and is laying flat. He kind of wakes up a little bit and it's like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Weird. Yeah, I know. It was really weird. And he looks super healthy. 
Um, so we, we were getting like bits and pieces of history every time he, he would fainting. wake up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like every time he would wake up. Um, right. So Give of course, immediately we're like, get the monitor, get a set of vitals. Um, he was a little hypotensive, tachycardic um, at the time. And then we put him on the monitor and he had an organized rhythm, but it looked like he had peak T waves. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, this is kind of weird and kind of getting some more information from him. And um, it turns out, because of course we have to go searching for the meds in the house. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that he'd had kind of a newer diagnosis of, I can't remember what it was, and he was on some new medication. And so... Um, <laughs> like an ACE inhibitor or something? Yeah, and it was just kind of weird because... There's no fistula. I yeah. mean, but immediately we're thinking hyperkalemia because that's what you always think when you see peak T waves as a paramedic because mm-hmm. you're excited about it. Um, and so anyway, we started an IV, gave him some fluids thinking that might help. Um, it didn't really help. It didn't. No. And so we sat him up to get him on the gurney and you can see on the monitor suddenly his heart rate's slowing down oh, and bro. it's doing that exact thing that you were talking about. Uh-huh. Everything's stretching out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stop um, that. And he did go into... Um, what looked like V-fib. Yeah. And so uh, we laid him down and got him on the gurney. And of course, when we laid him down again, he's kind of like starts to come to. No way. Um, but he's still bradycardic. And so we're like, this is interesting. So we, we get to transporting and I was like, I'm just going to call because we're probably, I don't know, 25 minutes uh, from the hospital. And we kind of give the brief report that we have, which is not very much information. Right. Um, and we're like, we're thinking it might be hyperkalemia. You know, can we give calcium or bicarb? And it was a little off-brand because we didn't have a solid medical history. And right. he, w- he was never really um, able to give us a full mm-hmm. medical history. And um, the, the doc on the line was like, well, that's kind of ballsy, which, of course, made me laugh really hysterically because <laughs> who says ballsy over the radio? Yeah. Uh, but go ahead. So we did. We gave him the calcium, and it narrowed up the... EKG and he was like literally sitting there talking to us wow. on the gurney. That's so cool. um, of course we're waiting any moment for anything yeah. to change, but um, he actually did really well. He just he, I don't know what his potassium ended up being, yeah. but he was hyperkalemic and he did end up um, having kidney failure. He just didn't know it yet. Oh, wow. interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily medication induced. No, mm-hmm. he just had bad kidneys. Yep. Yeah. And. Later, we of course, every time we go back in, you want to check in on the patient and see what's going on. And his wife was there. And she was like, I can't believe he didn't tell you. You know, we've just been to the specialist. And they oh, were yeah. kind of in the, in <laughs> well, the beginning out. stages. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. interestingly, because you learned that in paramedic school about how the EKG changes, it just looks a certain way. It mm-hmm. does. And you're like, that looks hyperkalemic. Um, got its own we look. did get the, the tip, though, at the beginning mm-hmm. from the original EKG, which did have the peak T waves on it. They did? Yeah. Yeah. So that le- led us down the path. Nice. That's a did good Did you call. get shocked? You didn't shock. No. No. Because he, he just kept he would like, going in and out of consciousness. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. As the doctor on the other end of the line, I don't think I would ever been like, sure, go ahead and try it. But um, I think we had enough convincing evidence. And he was like hemi, sort of hemi-stable. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, so we didn't intubate. It was just the weirdest call. I mean, um, what's giving calcium? What's that going to do if I you don't need it? I think in that, it's I probably mean, okay. Pro- you know, the 
sure if he was hypercalcemic, you don't yeah. want to give calcium, right? But I mean, it, that clinical context is suspicious enough that the benefit probably outweighs the risk. Yeah. yeah. You know, for the most part, it's not too crazy medication to give, just a single dose mm -hmm. and see if it helps, which it did. Yeah, and it did. Right? Mm -hmm. That was really um, cool. That is cool. That's a good case. We should definitely put the EKG strips yeah, on. Yeah, I'll find a way to, to do that. Well, that's a classic story of like the wife. If the wife would have been there, I know. Yeah, right. How many, right. <laughs> how many wives of men in pre-hospital <laughs> setting or ER settings are actually yeah. the ones who saved their life? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, you have any medical problems? Nope, not at all. Nope, yeah, everything's fine. What do you mean? You have kidney failure? Yeah, yeah. Right. You were just at a nephrologist two days ago. Two days ago, <laughs> Randy. he's passing out and she's cussing yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. No, no medical problems. Well, it looks it shows here you take all these medications. Oh yeah, I take all. This. I have yeah. hypertension. I used to have coronary <laughs> artery yeah. disease, yeah. but I take meds for that now. Yeah. I love it when they say, "Oh yeah, but that's normal now." Yeah. Well, right, because you're medicated for it. You know, <laughs> like, gee, maybe we need to figure out a new way to ask that question. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that recently. How can I ask that better? So I have a question. Um, in my experience, I haven't given um, high dose albuterol very often. Yeah. Um, how effective is it? Is it just like kind of the Hail Mary? I think it is what we have or? Yeah, I think it's effective in shifting uh, K intracellularly. I think I've done it maybe a handful of times in the mm -hmm. ER, but the insulin works, Yeah, I think, better, mm -hmm. you know. And But in the pre-hospital, it makes sense if you guys don't have that option, right? Yeah. So you're just doing what you can to transiently shift potassium out of the serum into the cell because mm -hmm. that's the big issue my guess is that the albuterol as soon as it stops is it's probably faster off mm -hmm. too um but i mean i think it effectively shifts potassium so it does it pretty quick i think so yeah mm -hmm. you know we don't use again we don't use it as much in my experience in the in the er just because we we usually give insulin and dextrose like mm -hmm. almost immediately right. and the and if they make urine we give lasix you know we give KXLA. There's another drug called Lokelma that some mm -hmm. hospitals have. Some I don't think we actually have it at um, where I work, but it helps bind the potassium. But and yeah, you I think poop it's, it out. Yeah, that's why you wait until they're going upstairs to give it. Right. Nice. <sighs> Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm kidding. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, kind of. <laughs> well, that's our episode. Hyper-K is a cool thing when you can treat it. It is cool. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to identify. It is. Mm -hmm. That's the trick. I mean, that's the, especially in the pre-hospital setting. Like, I, when we talked about doing this episode, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what these calls are like. Because mm -hmm. other than the coding dialysis patient who missed pretty four pretty runs of dialysis. Yep. But, you know, but dialysis patients have so many other reasons they mm -hmm. can code, too, right? They could mm -hmm. get a pericardial effusion. They mm -hmm. usually are sick and they have heart disease. Like, it's not always the K, right? Right, and it's mm -hmm. I find it to be a pretty insidious incidental finding often. So you know, are they drawing labs? And this is just something I don't know. Are they drawing labs each time dialysis patients I come think in? They do. Mm. Draw it's continuous. Labs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it, that machine that they're getting mm -hmm. dialyzed from is also mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah. It's because cool. they're infusing like heparin and I don't know all kinds of different things. Yeah. Right on. And sometimes they're giving electrolytes. Sometimes they're giving potassium mm -hmm. or calcium or whatever it is. Those machines are smart. Yeah, they're, they're big so too. Smart. Yeah. yeah, they're big machines. 
like the size of a table. Yeah. I, I actually do think that's the challenging part of this discussion. Mm-hmm. Is a, like if you start read like I was reading about hyperkalemia again and like it's like med school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like a huge med school topic, like loops of Henley in the kidney and these sodium potassium ATPAs and but it's like mm-hmm. pretty you can nerd out on it pretty hard and it's like not necessarily It's hard to simplify. It's very hard mm-hmm. to simplify, yep. yeah, I think. Yeah. That was the but challenge I, I was think running into. The take home for the EMS providers is it's you're not getting rid of the potassium for one. Mm-hmm. You're shifting it. You're shifting it. Mm-hmm. It's transient. It's temporary. You're stabilizing the heart to get them to a place where you can figure out why their K is high and actually get it off. Right. Yep. I mean, that's like clinical. I think that's kind of the big take home is everything we're doing is very transient. Mm-hmm. Right. In the pre hospital setting. Daniel, question for you. Yeah. 30 years in EMS. <clears throat> How often did you treat? Hyper-K. Oh, geez. Just cardiac arrest, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was obvious, like dialysis center type stuff yep. or yep. known hyper-K type thing. Yep. Yeah. A lot of times I missed it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think oh, it's I'm interesting sure. that in the ER, it's an incidental finding usually. Often, yeah. But I feel like in EMS, I don't think it's that rare. I mean, maybe we're not treating it, but we, we know what's what's going on. Like, we do a lot of dialysis transfers and EMS and... Transfers for sure. Um, a lot of, I'm no, I don't feel great. I missed mm-hmm. dialysis mm-hmm. for three yeah. days. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So you're yeah. kind of yeah. clued yeah. in that something hinky's going on, but maybe mm-hmm. you're not treating it. Right. Um, right. And so. I think of that patient population, sure. We're right. Like, oh, yeah, they're probably, their lights are going to be all yeah. messed up. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people that have high Just potassium. Walk in guess, and you're like, right? Yeah. What? And those are the sneaky ones that you've probably transported and yeah. didn't mm-hmm. know, right? Right. What kind of medications are we looking for that would increase the serum potassium? Mm, that's a good like question. Like we're yeah. thinking people that... ACE inhibitors, mm-hmm. um, l- the potassium-sparing loop diuretics, mm-hmm. like s- spironolactone, um, those are probably the big hitters. And then if they're taking exogenous potassium, mm-hmm. right, like if they're on potassium supplementation, and then they, for some reason, have kidney issues. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a whole list, but those are probably the the, the ones we see the most. The big ones. Yeah. Beta mm-hmm. blockers can do it. Mm-hmm. We can maybe we can add that list to the yeah. Uh, yeah. If we can find a good list, I'll yeah. I'll yeah. throw it on the show notes. Good job, Steve. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Guys, thanks for the for the episode. I feel like we really covered a lot of different aspects of hyper K, from calls to classroom stuff to in hospital, out of hospital. But like the doc was saying, I feel like it's hard to simplify this stuff to. You know, I don't even know where you begin to simplify other than just defining what hyper-K means. From there, it gets really complicated really fast. But we'll put some information in the show notes to kind of help people um, work through what we talked about. And if you guys have any questions, we'd love to um, field any emails you can send in. So we'll leave it there, but catch you guys on the next episode. Thanks for joining us.